Take your Bibles this morning, turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and uh, the truth of that song is something that we need to be reminded of. We should never get over the fact that he lives in us, and uh, we learned some about that with the men last night, uh, as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he liveth in me, and we ought to never get over that wonderful privilege. Thank you for that beautiful song. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Doing all right? How'd you like the wind on Tuesday? Wasn't that special? I told my wife, I think that is the coldest, windiest day we've ever had in 37 years of living in Lancaster. And, uh, and my daughter, Danielle, she's, she's just a tiny little thing. She, uh, she directs the Striving Together Publications Ministry, which is over across the, the way, uh, across from the football field. And she called me and she said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. I was walking across the parking lot and the wind picked me up and moved me about two feet. And that, that didn't surprise me. She weighs about 12 pounds. So uh, she's, uh, she's, she survived it, though. And uh, yesterday and today are beautiful days. And I'm glad that we can have this time in chapel. Uh, do pray for this Sunday service. Um, these types of things are uh, great moments of faith for the church and for me. And it's only with faith that you can please God. And sometimes in the ministry, you have to get out uh, to where only God can do it or it's not going to happen. And when you determine that God wants you to build a a $7 million building during COVID, uh, you really need a miracle from the Lord. Uh, for such uh, for such an undertaking, and so uh, I I learned years ago, you can't look around at the people in the church and try to figure out where the money's coming from. That just will discourage you. And normally, uh, when you're pastoring and having something like this, a lot of people will tell you for the few weeks prior they lost their job or this or that or the next thing. So you can't listen to those things. You just have to stay focused on the Lord. And, uh, and God is able, and we're going to see a great miracle, but I want you to pray with us about it. And then, of course, uh, be in prayer for the Spiritual Leadership Asia Conference. We have some folks starting to go over next week, and uh, I've been on the phone and yesterday was on a conference call with about 40 pastors that are going over and uh, lots of things. Uh, just trying to pick everybody at the airport up is a big deal, getting them to the hotels and so forth, and then uh, organizing all the sessions. And I hope you'll pray. Now, if, if you want to know specifically what to pray for for that conference, and some of you are going, we're praying for a missions revival. That's what we're praying for. Um, there's a lot in the States, a lot of times, I deal with a lot of pastors and and, and, uh, and, and pastors are great. I love pastors, but sometimes you'll have pastors picking at each other or you'll have guys that are compromising and they're, they're dropping the name Baptist, they're doing this or that. And you're like, oh, brother, just playing games and, and, uh, and, and not really soul winning, not really seeing revival, not really seeing souls saved. Well, when you go to a place like Asia, uh, there's a hunger there. Uh, there are people that are living out their faith, sometimes in communist lands or like in Indonesia, a Muslim land, they know that they desperately need God. We sometimes in America forget how desperately we need God. By the way, we desperately need God. But we're praying for a, a missions revival. And what's happening is that there are missionaries going right now from the Philippines and Korea and a few other countries into the rest of Asia. And, and percentage-wise, their churches are sending more missionaries than the American church right now. And uh, I'm so thankful for each of you and proud of your dedication and surrender for the Lord. Don't lose that. 
All of you should be willing at a moment's notice to go to a foreign land or a big city or a faraway place and preach the gospel if that's what God tells you to do. <clears throat> I mean, that's just what being a Christian is. Uh, being owned lock, stock, and barrel by the Lord and being surrendered to the Lord. And, uh, uh, but could you imagine uh, if the Lord would touch hearts of the thousands of people that are going to gather in, uh, in Manila and begin calling them out to different countries in the 1040 window, uh, billions of people who many of those countries have never had a soul-winning church uh, and uh, very rarely have even heard the gospel. And so we're really praying that God will use the conference toward that end, and I, I do appreciate your prayer. I'll stop in Korea on the way over. Many of you know that I lived in Korea. My parents were missionaries there. And so uh, it's a little bit for me like uh, going home for, for a few days in that sense. And uh, we'll visit Dr. Kim, uh, probably have a, a great big Korean lunch while I'm there. Uh, and uh, if you haven't had Korean food, you haven't quite lived yet. So uh, just put that on your bucket list. And then uh, uh, really it's, it's a layover. We get in there on uh, Thursday, then on Friday night, we have a pastor's meeting at a, at a convention center and uh, we'll uh, present to the pastors the ministry of West Coast Baptist College. I have the entire PowerPoint of the college in Korean, and uh, Dr. Lee will be going with us and helping to do some of the uh, interpretation. And uh, we also uh, have about 20 or so of our alumni that are faithfully serving the Lord over in Korea uh, that will join us for that meeting. So you pray for that stop there, and then we'll go on to Manila from there, and we're just asking the Lord to bless all the way around. Well, let's stand together. <clears throat> Romans 12, verse 9. <coughs> Just one verse this morning, and I would like to speak on the subject, do you really want revival? There's a song by that title, Brother Tyler. I'd like to have it sung sometime when I preach in here. Um, and have you ever heard the song, Brother Tyler? Yeah. Uh, it's a song entitled, Do You Really Want Revival? And I think it'd be great uh, to sing it sometime in chapel. Uh, but uh, that's the title of the message today, <clears throat> but it's more than that. It's a question. It's something I'd like to ask you. Do you really want revival? And we're going to read one verse today, just one, and then we'll look at this great subject. Verse 9, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Let's read this together. Ready? Begin. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor, cleave to that which is good. Let us pray. Father, thank you for our student body and for the privilege to preach this morning. We just pray that you would bless uh, each student today, meet their needs today, Lord. Bless them academically. Uh, bless them spiritually, uh, physically. I pray that tonight's banquet would be a great time for everyone, uh, that the uh, fellowship would be a great time of memory, and that you would be honored through it all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Yesterday, I received a phone call from a, a radio talk show host, and he said, uh, could you come on the show in the next hour and and uh, take a few minutes to talk to us about revival. I thought, revival? I've never been asked to talk about revival on a radio talk show before. And the radio talk show hosts began to ask me about a revival that is taking place in a smaller college in Kentucky uh, called Asbury College. And I don't really know a lot about the college, nor do I know a lot about the revival, frankly, that's 
that's allegedly happening there. But the radio broadcaster said something to me that struck me. He said, Pastor Chapel, don't you really think that it's about time that we had a revival in America? Do you think the revival that they're having in that college could spill to other colleges or other churches? And I said, I don't really know specifically what's happening there in that college, although I know that they've been having continual church services now for the last 10 days. They've, they've, there's never been a time where the auditorium's not had prayer, singing, preaching, confession of sin. For the last 10 days, certainly seems the Lord's doing something. I said, I can't vouch because I haven't been there, but I can answer your question that Yes, America desperately needs revival. And revival is not going to come from the unsaved world. You can't revive something that never had life to begin with. And if you have Christ in you, then you have life. But it's very possible to become very robotic in the Christian life, to go through motions, even to go to Bible college, and yet not be thoroughly right with God. Revival is a matter of a heart that is thoroughly right with God. Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when revival comes, you see God high and lifted up. You see God in his holiness, God in his majesty. And the Bible is clear that revival is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of trusting the Lord with all of our heart, our entire emotional being, intellect and will. The heart is the innermost totality of man. It is a matter of having that heart totally surrendered to God. Emotionally, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Intellectually, he said, why reason ye these things in your heart, Mark 2.8? Uh, in the will, Daniel 1.8, the Bible says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. The word heart speaks about the mind, the emotions, and the will. Revival is a matter of the whole man being yielded to God, being completely laid upon the altar. Someone said revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. I think about when I was saved, and I think about as a young child, nevertheless, the burden that was lifted the joy that I sensed, the desire that I had to serve God. I remember those weeks and months just after my salvation, working in the bus ministry and singing the songs and, and enjoying Jesus. And sometimes over the years, if we're not careful, we can lose the simplicity of what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Revival is the people of God living in the power of of an ungrieved, unquenched spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit as a person in the Godhead can be grieved, can be quenched. And when revival comes, we become aware of the fact of all of the little uh, times uh, that we uh, turned away from the Holy Spirit, quenched the Holy Spirit, uh, looked at things we should not look at, said things we should not say. We miss so many opportunities. We, we kind of live the way we want to live. And when revival comes, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us how far away from the Lord we have slipped. Many entire denominations have quenched the Holy Spirit. And we read about many different groups and 
I think of the Methodist churches, how that between 1890 and 1990, they closed 45,000 churches. I think of the modern-day Southern Baptist Convention. They're trying to start new churches, but they're closing way more churches annually than they're starting. It is a, it is a dying convention. We see across the land liberalism that has swept into churches, and we see across the land, even in the independent Baptist circles, churches that are becoming more and more carnal and less and less caring and, and haven't seen true moving of God maybe in decades. Frankly, Bible colleges historically have had a part in many of the recent revivals. I remember visiting over in Wales several years ago and doing some research on the Welsh revivals, uh, revivals where towns of 10,000 would have six or 8,000 of their citizens accept Christ as Savior, and all of these revivals preceded by sometimes just a very few women who would begin to go to prayer in the church and ask for the soul of their husband and ask that God would bring revival. In Romans chapter 12, there are many admonitions for the Roman church and for us today. But there is in this verse, I believe, an outline for what revival looks like in the life of a believer. The, the Bible begins in verse 12 of Romans, uh, Ro, Romans chapter 12 in verse 1 by saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Most of us have read that verse. We've heard preaching about that verse. But we understand that revival is the total surrender of one's life to the Lord presenting ourselves lock, stock, and barrel. And some of you are yet to do that. Some of you are uh, still trying to figure out what God has for your life and if you're willing to surrender in totality. But when someone is surrendered, there will come attributes into their life that are reflective of God's work that many times can be the, the outpouring of revival in one's heart. And I see those three of those things in verse 9. Notice, first of all, it says, let love be without dissimulation. When revival comes, there will be a purity of love in the life of the believers. There will be an increased love in the local church. There will be forgiveness. There will be repentance. There will be love. Let love be without dissimulation. The greatest virtue of the Christian life is love. And it is tragic when you hear of gossip and dissension. Uh, it is tragic when you see on social media people just cutting each other down and criticizing one another. That is the indication of a lack of revival. It is the indication of a carnal heart. Now, here we see pure love defined. Uh, the word is agape. You know there are three types of uh, of the words love, three words for love in the New Testament. There is the word eros, which speaks of a fleshly kind of love, erotic, sensual, and that is not love at all. How many times have we seen dating couples get into trouble because the boy said to the girl, he loved her. He didn't love her in, a, in an agape love. It was an eros type of love. It was a sensual type of a love, uh, and that is not revival love. And then there is uh, phileo, the brotherly love, and uh, that's a wonderful thing, but that is not what is spoken of here either. 
Revival love is agape love. It is Christ-like love. It is without hypocrisy. It is the kind of love that focuses on the needs of others rather than on their own need. Rather than on what you want out of the relationship, it is what you can place into the relationship. And when revival comes, there is love. When revival comes, uh, people help one another with uh, their, their, their school bill, perhaps, or with their, uh, the, the, some need that they might have in their life, or they weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. The consummate hip, hypocrite in the scripture was Judas. Judas feigned a love for the Lord, but Judas never loved the Lord. Judas, we might say, was a member of the first church, but certainly never knew what love was. He never was even saved. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now abide of faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. When revival comes, there is an intense, loving spirit amongst the student body. There is an intense, loving spirit amongst the people of God. You no longer see someone as a, as a problem or a quack or a nerd or a this or a that or however you characterize people. You see them as they are, the blood-bought child of God. And you're thankful for them. And you recognize them as a child of God. This is what pure love is. Pure love defined is without hypocrisy. It is without uh, a fleshly form of judgment or a selfish motive. But I also want you to notice pure love displayed. The pure love of revival will always be, not only is it defined, it will always be displayed. It will be a display toward the Lord Jesus. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says, Jesus said unto them, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. I have been around church all of my life and, and, I, and I certainly have seen people who can act the spiritual act. But when you're having a revival of love for Jesus in your heart, you're not acting. It's not something you're putting on. It's not something that you have to uh, try to impress people with. I think of uh, Brother John Williams who was leading our singing this morning. And uh, he's been here with us for several years. And a lot of times I'll watch Brother John when he's leading a particular song, various different songs, and I'll see tears just streaming down his face as he leads the song and is singing about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, oh, that's just emotionalism. You know, I, I believe it's more than that. I believe it's a love for the Savior. When you, when you have this revival love, the songs are different now. The opening of the word is exciting now. The preaching is wanted now. There's a love for God. There's a love for what he's done. You can't sing a song like years I spent in vanity and pride at Calvary without reminiscing and reliving and being reminded of what God has done for you. There's a pure love for our Lord. There's a pure love for one another. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Oh, that we would have that kind of love for one another in this church. I've seen it. 
I've seen this type of love here and there, but I believe it's something that we should desire as the Lord brings revival in our lives. There was a story told from the American Revolution about a man by the name of Peter Miller. He lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and uh, he was a friend of George Washington. And in Ephrata also lived a man named Michael Whitman. He was an evil-minded sort who did a lot of things to oppose and humiliate Peter Miller, who also was a pastor. He did everything he could to try to put the pastor down, put the church down, and so forth. Well, this Mr. Whitman one day was arrested during the revolution for treason, and he was sentenced to die. And Pastor Miller traveled all the way to Philadelphia, 70 miles, to plead for the life of this traitor. And when he got to General Washington, he said, I, I want to plead for the, for the life of this man, that he would not be uh, sentenced to death. General Washington said, no, Peter, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. He has violated the law. We cannot allow him to go free. The pastor said, my friend, he's the bitterest enemy that I have. Washington said, you've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. I'll grant you the pardon. And Washington pardoned the enemy of the pastor. How many of you would agree with me? It's very unusual to see someone forgive an enemy who's tried to destruct them. But when that happens, you know that it is God that is bringing about the spirit of forgiveness. When revival comes, there will be a purity of love. There will not be squabbling in the norms. There will not be criticism of another person. There will not be the attitude of, of criticism prevalent in your heart. When revival comes, there will be a purity of love like Jesus has for you. The Bible says that we are to forgive one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. You see, none of us deserve forgiveness. None of us deserve heaven. But there is a God in heaven who so loves us that he forgives us based upon the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. And some of us need to get off our high horse of pride thinking that we do not need uh, to express forgiveness or love and recognize that we are forgiven and we are loved. And the reason we can give this to someone else is because it has been first given to us. Revival is a purity of love. The world knows nothing of it. The world's love is a selfish love, but God's love is a selfless love. But notice secondly in this verse, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil. Now when revival comes, there will be first and foremost a, a purity of love abounding, a Christ-like spirit abounding everywhere. But there will be secondly a preventing of evil. The way to prevent evil is to abhor evil. It is to hate evil. My wife uh, was raised in the home of an alcoholic. Her dad would get drunk and he'd start saying terrible things and doing terrible things. And I'm going to tell you something. My wife hates alcohol. She abhors alcohol because she has seen what it does to a family. And God says 
that he desires of the church at Rome that they would learn to hate evil. And there was plenty of evil in the Roman Empire. They didn't have all the technology that we have today, but you cannot visit a Roman city like Ephesus or Rome or uh, any other that you would name without going uh, to the public uh, buildings and seeing uh, even various types of pornography that was etched into the sides of the buildings and various types of art that was very sensual and so forth. There was evil in the first century, plenty of it. And God says, when revival comes, you will hate that which is evil. There will be in your heart a hatred for it. Isaiah 59, 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, thank God we can never lose our salvation. How many of you are thankful for that? When you get saved, we are sealed under the day of redemption, Ephesians 1.12. No man can pluck us out of the hand of God. Thank God for that. But the Bible is quite clear that he that covereth sin will not prosper. Here in the book of Isaiah, the Bible says that, that there is a lack of or a loss of fellowship with the Lord when we find ourselves uh, living with iniquities that separate us, they, they come between us. That's why we confess our sin in revival. That's why we repent of sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't do that to get saved again and again and again, but because that sin that has layered and layered and layered in our heart has created a loss of fellowship with the Lord. And when you begin to have revival in your heart, you, you become hungry for a closer relationship with God. You desire to know him more personally. You see, someone said prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will make the man cease from prayer. Prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will make a man cease from prayer. You say, I, I, I don't feel like praying a lot of times. Sometimes I don't even feel like I'm a Christian. No, you can't live with those wicked thoughts. You can't live with those wicked acts. You can't live quenching the Holy Spirit and still want to talk to him. You must begin with a clean slate of repentance and a clean slate of confession before the Lord. And then uh, as, you, as you brush off the sin and as you, as you give it to the Lord and cast your cares upon the Lord, there, there comes an awakening into your heart and into your life because you have learned to hate sin the way God hates it. The idea is that one does not like prayer. One does not like the things of God the way that he should or love the fellowship of the Lord the way that he should because there has come something between him and the Savior. Years ago, my, my wife made a, a wonderful meal. I may have mentioned this to you a few weeks ago. and Boy, I tell you what, she had roast beef and potatoes and we were sitting there at the table just eating away, but one of my kids wasn't eating. I couldn't figure out why would you not eat this amazing meal? After a little while, I went upstairs and went into the bedroom and there was an empty bag of Skittles on that child's bed. They had consumed an entire bag of Skittles just before lunch. Let me tell you why you don't desire God the way you should. Because you love your evil too much. Whenever you have little desire to talk to God or hear from God or to walk with God, always ask yourself, what is it that is replacing God at this moment? 
A true revival means nothing less than a revolution. Casting out the spirit of worldliness, making God's love triumphant in the heart. It is a revolution of the heart. It is saying nothing matters to me more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is the preventing of evil. Now, this preventing of evil, first of all, will honor God. It will honor God. The faithful believer can strike no agreement with the devil. And the devil loves that TV show that they used to have called Let's Make a Deal, right? Hey, you can go to church, you can go to Bible college, but don't, don't give up curtain one or two. You can have curtain three, but, but let's make a deal. Let's not get too carried away with this living for God. Proverbs 8, 13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy in the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. Now listen to me. How many of you notice it's easy to hate the evil in other people's life? People get all blustery and they get all mad about the sins of the culture, and we should. We should have a righteous indignation about the sins of this culture, but we should have the same about our own sin. When was the last time that you felt the deep conviction of God about your own sin? You see, if you were to go to your home and you were to walk in by the kitchen and you were to go to the stove and you were to burn yourself accidentally on that stove, maybe your thumb, the likelihood is that your thumb, the skin on that thumb would die. I mean, to the point that you could prick it with a needle and never even feel it. And that's what happens with many consciences of Christians today. The Bible calls it a seared conscience. There is a sinning and a sinning and a burning and a burning to the point that when the Holy Spirit tries to convict you, you're not even feeling it like you should because you've gotten so used to the sin in your life. But when you get to that place that you say, I abhor that sin, I, I repent of that, Lord, I, I confess to you that I was wrong, I ask you for your forgiveness, and I ask for your help to live the way that I should, life can be restored to your soul in the sense of a healing and a restoring of fellowship. Psalm 101 in verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. Proverbs 6 in verse 6, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceiveth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift to run to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. I'm telling you, these are some things that God says he absolutely abhors. And by the way, we ought to abhor what God abhors. The kingdom of God is not going to advance by churches becoming filled with men, but by men in our churches becoming filled with God. I believe in a growing church. I, I believe that we ought to be out soul winning. I'm going out soul winning right after uh, my class today. I believe we ought to do all we can to try to reach visitors and fill up the church house. But it's not just about filling up the church house. We need to fill up our hearts with God and with a, a greater love for God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Back in 1946, the greatest movie ever made was produced. Anybody know the title of it? 
Come on, it's the greatest movie ever produced. Not Rocky. What was it? Please come to my office for a free Snicker bar after chapel today. It's a wonderful life. How many of you have ever seen It's a Wonderful Life? All right. Have you seen it in black and white? Color? All right. I've seen it in both. I watch it every Christmas. I love a movie where the good guy gets bailed out financially at the end. I love that, right? When you've been in as many building programs and you've borrowed money like we have and you've stepped out by faith like we have and you need, you need a big offering on Sunday. So I might, I might watch It's a Wonderful Life tonight just to get encouraged, I'll tell you what. That old George Bailey. Now, when they first made It's a Wonderful Life, they brought it before the review board uh, of the movie industry and it was rejected. They said, we cannot allow this movie to be shown in the movie theaters of America. The reasons are as follows. It had a word in the movie and the word was jerk. There was another movie. It was the word lousy. Another word, the word lousy. There was another phrase, garlic eaters. They said, we will not let the youth of America hear that word jerk or lousy or those words garlic eaters. We cannot let that go into our society. Fast forward. You, you can't turn a television on now without seeing homosexuality. Can't, you can't watch the news without hearing cursing. Slowly, the conscience of America has become defiled. Slowly, the conscience of our land, no longer is there a feeling of God. There is a searing of the conscience. And, and yet we must never allow the searing to happen in our own hearts as Bible-believing Christians. If you're not careful, you'll get used to your sin. You'll think that's the normal Christian life. And it's really the abnormal Christian life. The normal Christian life is the life that has a purity of love. It's the life that's prevent, preventing evil and, and fleeing youthful lust. But that's the normal Christian life. But if you're not careful, you're going to settle. And some of you are already settling. You're not even 25 years old and you've just come to the place of thinking, this must be what the Christian life is. Not a lot of victory. I'm not very happy with my sin. I wonder, I hope my, hope my girlfriend doesn't hear this sermon because she, she'll know how wicked I am. Look, at she already knows when you prevent evil you honor God and when you prevent evil you bring joy to your life when you turn away from evil Charles Spurgeon said a genuine revival without joy in the Lord is an impossible is as impossible as spring without flowers or day dawn without light I enjoyed hearing you sing this morning. I thought they sang very well this morning. When you're right with God and there's joy in your heart, you're singing with joy as unto the Lord. But not every one of you had that joy. It's no fun living with a life of being burdened down with guilt. It's no fun living a life wonder if someone's going to find out something. It's no fun knowing that you're not right with God. You see, there's no softer pillow than a clear conscience. 
There's no better rest than resting in the Lord. Not saying that you're perfect, not saying you'll, you never do sin, but, but saying that you always hate sin and when it, when it is encroaching upon your thoughts or actions that you flee to the Lord. Psalm 1 and verse 1, you memorize this, many of you in the first grade. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. This is the blessed man. This is the revived man. Psalm 85 and verse 6, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? When someone's revived, when they're thoroughly right with God, boy, they feel wonderful they're in Christ. Christ is in them. They're free from the bondage of sin. And that is entirely possible through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ living within us. When revival comes, there will be a purity of love and there will be a preventing of evil. And then finally, notice in verse 9, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Let's say that together. Cleave to that which is good. There will be a passion for righteousness. I'm going to cleave to that which is good. Now, our passion will be expressed. And we see it here in the word cleave, which means to glue permanently. I'm going to find that which is good. God's word. I'm going to find that which is good. Wholesome activity. Things that God has given me to enjoy richly in his creation. And I'm going to hold on to those things. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. That's, that's what he wanted more than anything. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Jeremiah 24 and verse 7, and I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. This is a passion that we will cleave to the things of God. Listen, when you get Bible truth in chapel, when you get some Bible lesson in a class, let me encourage you, hold on to that. Don't let it go quickly. Hide the word of God in your heart. Cleave to that which is good. And then not only is our passion expressed by cleaving, but our passion is focused on the good. The good. You know what I notice about mothers, and I notice this in my wife as a mom, as a, as a grandmother, is that they're always looking for that good thing to give their grandchildren. Oh, here's a beautiful storybook. It's, it's got a good Christian moral-based story. I'm going to get that for the children. Oh, Look at, look at this game. This teaches a good moral lesson. I'm going to get this game because it's a good gift. And, and, and loving parents are always looking for something good to put into the life of their child. They're, they're looking for some, uh, some line of, of movies that is, is created by Christians and it has a good teaching story to it. And, and they're finding good and they're, they're, they're saying, let's cleave to that which is good. And this is the position uh, that they take, and it's the passion. They're cleaving to truth. They're cleaving to God. They're cleaving to that which is good. And when revival comes, we're not amused any longer with off-color jokes because it's not good. When revival comes and somebody says a bad word or some bad thought comes across our mind, we're immediately, if we're in a state of revival, we're immediately convicted of that. We're turning from that. We're not holding on to it. We don't even want to remember it because it's not good. Amen. It's not godly. Amen. It's not something that we want to entertain. 
Revival is an invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God. Write that down. Revival is an invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God. It's an awakening. It's an awakening. When you experience revival, suddenly things that you were just kind of letting go, not thinking twice about it, suddenly you're awakened to the fact that that's not helpful, that's not good. Revival is an awakening. When revival comes, you'll really live out Philippians 4.8. Remember Philippians 4.8? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what does the next part say? Think on these things. When revival comes, some of you on your phone are going to delete certain apps. I'm just telling you. Look, at, we, we can't have a rule book big enough to regulate all your behavior. But when revival comes, you hardly need the rule book. You don't need rule book for revived college students. When revival comes, you're going to delete some apps. When revival comes, you're going to delete some stuff on your computer. When revival comes, you're going to get along in the dorm. When revival comes, you're going to help someone in their time of need. When revival comes, you're going to have a new appreciation. You're going to look at the guy in your dorm and go, you know what? Here's what I'm glad for. I'm glad he's a child of God. He's in Bible college. He might even be a mission. Let me me tell you something about Bible college. Some of the people you think are going to be so successful are going to wash out two years after college. And some of the ones you thought were a nerd are going to pastor a thousand people in the Philippines and have great revivals in their life and ministry. And when revival comes, you hope everybody makes it because you know there's billions of people that need Christ. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. A revived person lives with the proving mentality I believe this little verse shows us a synopsis of revival. Revival will bring a purity to your love. Revival will bring bring a preventing, a, a hating of evil. And revival will bring a passion for righteousness. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? The highest joy of man comes from cultivating the deepest part of man. The highest joy of man comes from cultivating the deepest part of man. When the heart is pure, the vision is clear. When the heart is pure, the vision is clear. If the Holy Spirit is cultivating your heart, you're going to see things differently. You're going to see things more clearly. Pastor Chapel, don't you think it's time for revival in America? We will not have revival in America if we can't have it right in our own hearts. R.A. Torrey, the great evangelist of yesteryear said, I can give you the prescription for revival. Let a few people, they need not be many, get thoroughly right with God themselves. He said, let them join together and covenant together that God would work in their hearts to so awaken them 
that they would not cease praying until they knew that they were in a state of revival with the Lord. Do you really want revival? Or have you gotten content with a lukewarm, carnal Christian life? Don't settle when you can find a closer walk with the Lord and a true revival in your life, in this college, in your ministry days to come. Jesus can make all the difference for someone who hungers and thirsts after him.